Welcome into the Pirate Preview right here on the Sports Objective. Big game as we have, oh man, the Pirates hosting the Tulane Green Wave and one of our own who was with the Pirates, now uh, the voice of the Green Wave. Glad to have him on the show tonight, right, Bubba? Yeah, very excited to have Corey Glore back on the program. Corey, how's New Orleans? Uh, coming back is how I, she's still, uh, she's still beating, uh, going by the beat of her own drum, but, uh, she, she took a punch, but she's, uh, she's on her way back. By the way, guys, happy international podcasters day today. So being a podcast, we've been doing this show three and a half years. So happy international podcast day. Uh, Corey, um, by the way, you're one of those guys that is big into pop culture. So before we get diving into football and about New Orleans, Tomorrow is a really big anniversary, 50 years. Do you know what it is tomorrow? It's a 50-year anniversary. That would be 71. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got me. I told you first of 71. Tomorrow is the 50th anniversary of Disney World open up, Magic the Magic Kingdom open up. Uh, Tomorrow makes... So those of you that go to work, you can win a lot of bets. Tomorrow is the 50th anniversary of Disney World. So there you go. If you have a bar bet or you want to have a water cooler chat, if you love Disney, Disney World, tomorrow is a big, kind of a big deal. Wow. Uh, so anyway, how about I've you, Bubba? I've been to Disney World twice in my life, and I haven't Bubba. been. Yeah. Yeah. I know you love Disney World. I love Disney World, you know, you know, back in the spring. Um, I'm trying to remember who the Pirates are playing that weekend. I believe it's a home series, but I um, went to Disney World on spring break this year, and I think that was probably about the fourth or fifth time we've been. Uh, you had a couple of uh, you know unexpected visits, at least one unexpected visit, uh, when Stacy and I went on our honeymoon back in December of 2010. One of her college friends uh, was actually working at Disney at the time and was nice enough to get us some um, – park hopper passes for that one day that we were going to be in Orlando. So that, that was a lot of fun. No doubt about it. Uh, I don't want to turn it into uh, the magic kingdom objective or the Disney objective. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. Corey, man, what in the world do you like have, like you're doing so great with your career. You picked the pirates and we were very thrilled. Then you go down to New Orleans. It's a great city. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? My friend is down in New Orleans, and you have the big hurricane. Uh, tell us about your experience of that. We're going to obviously talk for Pirate fans who want to talk about the game, but I was worried about you personally, too, and I was glad to see on social media that you said you were safe, and I saw some stuff on Twitter, so I was happy. But how was that for you, man? It's got to be scary. It was a lot. It was my first go-around with a hurricane down here. And initially, I was going to ride it out. I was, I was stocking up and ready to sit it out for a few days. And then the, the Friday before the storm hit, it hit on a Sunday, uh, the forecast started changing, started going more east. And so that 
put a little bit of concern into a lot of people here. And when lifelong residents of the city started telling me that they were leaving, that was my cue that I should get out too. So I evacuated to Houston on that Saturday. It took me 14 hours to get out to Houston, which is about a six hour drive from New Orleans. Uh, and then I, I watched the storm from afar. And once, uh, once it got to Sunday evening, I realized that this was going to be a long-term thing where the, the entire power grid went down. And so uh, I was kind of in limbo for a day. And then uh, Tulane Athletics put a plan in place, their evacuation plan they've had since Katrina, of they moved their whole operation to Birmingham, Alabama. And so I met them up there. They moved our week one game from home to Oklahoma. And I spent three weeks in a Birmingham hotel with the Tulane football team, Tulane Athletics. There are about six other programs that were there. And only about a week and a half ago did we all come back, by and large. Um, and so I've been back in town for about a week and a half. I, there was no damage to my place. Luckily, no flooding in, in my area. Um, there's damage a lot of places here, and it's going to take some time. Um, but, uh, but needless to say that my first experience of a New Orleans hurricane is one I um, it, it left a mark. It's one I'm going to be uh, sticking with for a while here. And I, I'm glad I made the call to evacuate because I was going to be stubborn about it. But um, I think I, I, I made up the right call there. So I, I'm, I'm good now for the rest of hurricane season. If, if they all want to avoid here, that'd be great. Now, Corey, because of that storm, uh, unfortunately, um, the first home game you called was not against the Oklahoma Sooners. And we'll dive into that matchup here in just a minute. But uh, I mean, it was the UAB Blazers. But just talk about that, you know, that game with Oklahoma. Um, obviously, just an unbelievable opportunity for the Tulane program to have the Sooners coming to New Orleans and Yulman Stadium. But um, the University of Oklahoma was you know, very, very uh, good as far as um, playing that game there. Uh, in Norman, and then um, I think what the the funds from that uh, went to the hurricane relief effort. Oh, the the Tulane Athletics got the ticket gate for that game, and so the Oklahoma did as much as they could to try and make it a home game, but it was never going to be that. So Tulane got the 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 attendance ticket numbers from that, and then the Oklahoma put the Tulane logo on the field, painting them on their field as well. The, the, the folks at Oklahoma were incredible to us. Um, you know, I worked hand in hand with their broadcaster, Toby Rowland to get set up my, my team, my broadcast team. None of them could make that trip due to being, having to be back home and, and tend to personal matters. And so it was a, a real thrown into the fire first broadcast for me. Uh, but the, the folks at Oklahoma were incredible. And then the, the effort that Tulane put out there, I, I, by this point, they're sick of getting pat on the back for that game because it was a loss and all is said and done. But I think they turned a lot of heads around the country who knew just at a cursory level what they were going through with the hurricane. And then they nearly pull off that win. They, they were the better team that day for most of that game. Uh, and, and they had it with in their hands at midfield, driving down five, and they couldn't convert that fourth and long. Um, I, was, I was thoroughly impressed by what they showed me 
Uh, they could have gone away down 23 at halftime, and they, it would have been understandable with everything leading up to that game. But they didn't, and they put together uh, something that caught a lot of people's attention. It's a shame the last two weeks have kind of gone the way that they have here for the Green Wave. But th- that week one at Oklahoma, in spite of the loss, is one that I'm, I'm certainly never going to forget. Yeah, and like you're saying, Corey, um, with that 23-point second quarter, what there were maybe three turnovers, three lost fumbles in that quarter, uh, something in like that. In a row, yeah. Yeah, they held Oklahoma to field goals on all of them. And so, like, it, that game could have gotten way out of hand, but yeah. uh, but they didn't. And then the second half was all Tulane. I mean, it's it, they dominated that second half. And um, they, had, they had a shot to pull that one out, but just couldn't quite find it at the very end there. So, like uh, it was – Sorry, um, I thought you were through there. I had a little bit of a lag on my end, but just to go to Norman and turn the ball over three consecutive possessions and give twenty three, give up twenty three points in a quarter, and then still nearly win the ball game, uh, have the have the ball um, with a chance to win on the final possessions, remarkable. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's two games now that Tulane has had a, a one possession result. They've lost both of them, and usually in scenarios like that you can look back at some pretty obvious mistakes as to why things went wrong. Three turnovers in a row in uh, the second half or in the second quarter in Oklahoma, and then two red zone turnovers in the second half against UAB did them in. So, uh, I mean, they feel they've left two wins on the table here. No question about it. Um, and, and week one, unfortunately was the first one. And Corey, one of the things that uh, bothers me, is when you hear about people talk about, for example, Oklahoma, and they're, I mean, they're still 4-0, right? And they're going, well, they haven't played that well. And I'm going, yeah, but they're still 4-0. Everybody in Pirate Nation would take 4-0 right now. I know there's different expectations. My point, though, is the case of Tulane, Tulane, like, stood toe-to-toe with them, you know, and it's kind of an insult, I think, to Tulane and the other opponents, but especially in this particular case, I know Tulane for a fact, is a good football team, good football team, a good coach, and you have a situation like that. I, I just always think that when there's a big brand like that of Oklahoma, they always make excuses instead of saying Tulane is a good football team. I mean, I'll say this: when we walked out of Norman, you know, the we were given plenty of accolades from the folks there about the quality of the program that they saw nearly beat their team. Um, and so they were they were impressed. Now, three weeks later, has Oklahoma looked the part of a national title contender? Eh, not quite, honestly. Um, and so maybe now it's shifted to a little bit more concern about how they played for most of that game. And in the last two weeks have not been Tulane's finest outings. And so that might compound things a little bit. But I can tell you this, that the, the folks at Oklahoma were were impressed by what um, what Tulane showed them. Um, and and I think maybe they're a little bit surprised, too, at how the last couple of weeks have gone here for the Green Wave. No doubt about it. But there's, and in all fairness, too, it seems like this year, Corey, there's been a lot of parity in that I've heard all kinds of excuses. And, and one of the things I've heard is the term, I was teasing, uh, by the way, Bubba, I was teasing one of our friends, Terry Gallagher, who had, I think he was here at, at Greenville for six years, but uh, super seniors. I told him he was a super senior before it was cool. But now that you have all these super seniors, you have a lot of guys that are 22, 23 years old, still playing college ball. 
Do you think that's where some of the parity comes in, where the teams that you have, the Clemsons of the world, some of the ones that are not as dominant because a lot of those other teams have uh, players that have a lot of experience? Now, I haven't really thought about that in regards to the extra year and having some older teams, Dave, I'll be honest. I mean, Tulane's got their fair share of super seniors and, uh, you know, some of the leaks that have occurred here of late were similar to what we saw last year. And so, you know, missed tackles, drops, like those were issues last year and they've crept in here this year. Um, You know, I I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I have a great answer for you on that um, because yeah, everybody's older than maybe what they expected to be for this year. I think when push comes to shove, it will still boil down to the chemistry of your group, the schemes that you're running and if they're on the same page with it. And, you know, you mentioned Clemson, well, they look disjointed. That doesn't mean they're old or young. They just haven't looked the part. Um, And so, you know, Oklahoma has four wins, but they haven't quite looked crisp. So I think it goes just, I think it's still more internally than the rest of college football kind of rising to the occasion right now. You follow the program in Greenville, obviously very close. And uh, the Pirates have a chance this week to be, I know Bubba brought up, we were three and two, two years ago, but it's been uh, that long since we've been, it's been over two years since we've been above 500. Uh, What about Tulane uh, with with Coach Fritz? He's done such a great job. What's the mood in uh, – we understand about all the circumstances you've gone through with the hurricane, but what's the mood now with Tulane football as far as the program itself and maybe the season? Well, I think this week has been their first truly normal week of the season. You know, they got back last Sunday, but they still had guys staying in hotels due to the dorms not being open. Some people's houses are are not livable right now, and so – um, and there was, you know, you're playing back on campus and you weren't going to have all the amenities and the you know, things that they're ready on campus that most home games would have still. Um, and so this week has actually been, you know, your usual week leading up for a game. And so the, they've now really come in and said there, there's not one hurricane related reason why things are getting thrown off at us this week. We have our actual schedule. Everyone's back in classes. Um, This should be the routine now and and how they go through this, that there's no extenuating circumstances, no external reasons why things should be off kilter this week. Um, And so I think they're approaching that with hand in hand with uh, they let a win off the table last week. And this is the start of conference play. Um, they aren't really thinking macro picture about what a win or a loss does this weekend. Tulane fans certainly are, um, because a loss this weekend would be a real, real issue in terms of making a bowl game. So, I mean, they are looking at this as a way to kind of cleanse the palate and do it on their terms for once this year, instead of having to, you know, have a locker room in the middle of a ballroom in the Birmingham Sheraton and, and go to a high school to lift weights. Like they, they have everything they're used to having. They're back on a schedule uh, and they're, they know how to handle this now. Now they got to go out there and show it. Before we really start to take a closer look at the green wave, Corey, and uh, you know, talk about some of the tremendous personnel, um, someone that you're very familiar with chiming in on Facebook, Alan Vick, 
Uh, Alan says, good to see Corey. And it'll be nice to have him back in Greenville. It will be. I, I've, I've had this date on my calendar. Uh, I, I down for a while. I've been looking forward to this return here and, and seeing, uh, seeing many folks that, uh, that I moved away from a few months ago. Corey, uh, one, uh, another thing too, what have you missed about not being in Greenville? We know how much you love New Orleans and Tulane, but what's one thing that, that the takeaway you're saying, man, I wish that I could have that. Um, I mean, I, I uh, the people that I worked with, I love. And so not being around them on a regular basis and, you know, it's it, when push comes to shove, it's the connections that you make, it's the relationships that you build. And I was I was very lucky that uh, I, I walked into a program that took me in, was very accepting of me and let me be around them and be a part of that group. And, and uh, whether it's the, the guys on the field or the, in the dugout or up in that press box, uh, they they took me in. And then the, the fan base there was very accepting of me which you know was meant a lot to me so it's the it's the people there that i miss uh, i miss quite a bit and i'm looking forward to even if it's just for 26 hours here this weekend reconnecting with some of them now dave not to get off on a tangent but have you heard anything regarding um, the new voice of east carolina baseball Have have I or was that to Corey? That that was to you. Oh uh, no no! But, but Co my, Corey, Corey, my uh, question to Corey tonight was: uh, I, I know that you still have folks in there, but uh, there's there's certain people. Uh, I know that just like if you're an athletic director, you would know like voices. I mean, you would know like coaches you'd want as a football coach, whatever. Um, but there you go, Casey Brand asked that. Has there uh, been announced baseball announcer for ECU? I hate we lost Corey. Amen to that, but I'm happy for him personally. Oh, thank you. Uh, I mean, uh, I can tell you I have no input, no idea what's going on with that search. That is, uh, I am, I am, I am out of that realm now. So I am, I'm Team Greeny at the moment, um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I can only tell you this. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how far along they are. I still am in contact with my former boss uh, in Greenville. We, we touch base pretty regularly just to see how we're doing. Um, but, you know, I was brought on in 2016 in January and, you know, the season started in February. I, I don't know if they're going to wait that long for this. I, I'm not sure. But um, in terms of who they're looking at, who they're talking to, how far along the process is. I have no idea of that, nor is it my business to know any of that. My, my work, my watch ended. And so now it's, it's someone else's turn to take over. That's going to be uh, really fascinating too, with the first year without Corey Glore to see um, not only who's picked, it's like when you have a new coach, but uh, everybody has a wrinkle on things and, you made uh, the toughest broadcast, which people don't realize, not to get too inside the broadcasting world, but baseball is very difficult to call because of the the pace of the game, I guess you would say. You have to have a lot of stories. And you you took – that's one of the things that people in Pirate Nation, I think, appreciated by you is that you were talking about how um, the fact that 
people like had open arms for you, but you had open arms for us too in Pirate Nation. And um, I think it's like a respect thing. You gave us respect. We gave you respect. And uh, certainly you made us feel like the greatest part of that broadcast was we felt like it sounds corny, but it's true. We felt like we were part of the broadcast with um, all the saying hello on Twitter and all that kind of stuff that you really, that was a really cool thing that hopefully, uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be like for the new broadcaster. Nobody can be Corey Glore. Everybody's going to be their own individual, but hopefully we won't lose some of those things we got used to over the last, what, six seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know who it will be. I don't know if I'll even know the person who takes over. Um, but uh, I will certainly encourage Pirate fans that, you know, it will be a different person. They will be calling a game their style, their way, and, um, you know, treat them well because I, I got treated well when I started and when I took over. And so uh, whomever it is, I, I know how – fiercely passionate people are not just of ECU, but especially that program. And so um, treat whoever steps in in 2022 well, because I can guarantee that it's, it's known what the, what that role is, what that job is around the college circuits. And so uh, I know whoever will come in uh, will treat it with the severity, the respect that it deserves. Um, and it won't be for lack of effort. One more baseball question. Have you heard from Coach Godwin since you took the job? Uh, we talked a little bit shortly after I got the job. And then uh, before I left town, I went into Clark Leclerc into the office and talked to him for a while. Um, I, I think I've maybe heard from him once since then, but we haven't, we haven't been like in regular communication. I know that y'all are both very busy for different reasons and it's, easy when you move on to another job and that person's still at that job. It's hard to be as connected because you're not there on a daily basis. So that's obviously. What, what he told me before I left town was that he would be, you know, he's happy for me. He'll be rooting for me. He's, he's thrilled that I was able to, you know, get this opportunity and he will be rooting for me except for one weekend a year. And then, (laughs) then, (laughs) <laughs> and luckily, I've seen an early advance of the baseball schedule. I know when that weekend will be, but um, but no, I mean Cliff was uh, extraordinary to me uh, in my time there, and uh, there are not many people better to have in your corner than a, a guy like Cliff Godwin because when he when he's loyal to someone, he stays loyal, even if I'm gonna be you know I'm wearing olive and blue now. No doubt, and I think he'll be. Uh... He's a guy that you know how much love and respect we have for him on this program. And I, I firmly believe at some point when he's done coaching baseball, he'll be a future athletic director at East Carolina. That's just my – you heard it here first. Not Nothing against John Gilbert. I'm not talking about the present time. Uh, but down the line when Cliff gets older, uh, maybe in the next couple decades, I think you'll see him as an athletic director. I really do. What do you think, Bubba? I think he has an excellent makeup for it. I, I really do. Um he would certainly, um, you know, demand the most from his um, his fellow administrators and his administrative team, and um, that would be a good thing. No doubt, but I know that <laughs> I know he's not worried about that kind of stuff uh, right now. And definitely down the line, we'll have you back on to talk 
uh, baseball or the like, and I'm sure basketball too. So we'll have, uh, it's hard to believe we'll have football, basketball, and baseball with you. Let's talk about football though, before we get ahead of ourselves or fo- basketball or baseball. I know Bubba, uh, you had that graphic you want to put up, but do you want to talk about that first about the kind of set the stage with the, with the series at hand? Yeah, I mean, you take a look at this East Carolina Tulane series, and it's one uh, that dates back to 1991. I was at that initial meeting um, when the. I know we lost, but I don't know. um, Can you hear Bubba Corey? I think we lost. uh, I cannot. No. Yeah, I've lost. We've lost you, Bubba, here, but uh, certainly on the screen right now, it's saying for those listening to the podcast, the uh, all time series. There we go. We're, it's in and out, um, Bubba. We got, it sounds like we got, are you back now? Uh, the all time series history has the Pirates with 11 wins and Tulane six wins, eight in Greenville. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so we have that graphic up on the screen. If you can see that, Um, Corey, uh, with this with this series, man, I'm looking at it. Just just come back to it because I I was going through a bad area. Okay, can you do it now? Bubba yeah, was the only we'll just, one kind of having internet issues at the start of the show. We, we will we'll, we'll come back to it later in the show because right right now uh, I'm still not sure that I'm out of the woods. But you know, Corey, um, I referenced the tremendous personnel that that Tulane has. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, tremendous quarterback. Uh, tell us about Michael Pratt. Dude's been a stud, and he has taken a lot of licks here in the first four weeks as well. He got hurt in the Ole Miss game. And he didn't throw a ball in practice leading up to UAB. And then, he, he, you know, once he got his feet underneath him, got comfortable, he put up a career high in yards against UAB. Now he threw picks that he shouldn't have thrown in the red zone late. But uh, what he's been able to do and accomplish in a short amount of time as you know second year quarterback he is the leader of this team and everyone listens to him everyone gravitates to him um and and to see what he has done the first four weeks of the year or 10 touchdowns is top 10 in the country right now and then he also knows when to get out of the pocket when to move when to um move the pockets and and improvise his receivers trust him. His tight ends have been great for him. Um, and he has shown in four weeks just how much of a kind of a warrior he is because he gets knocked around quite a bit. Uh, and this team loves him for that. And he loves this team. It's been fun to watch him, fun to be around him. And I'm excited to see what he can do here in league play. Talk about that uh, with the offensive side of the ball with uh, obviously – uh, we talked about how they played against uh, Oklahoma. I guess you would say uh, things haven't been consistent for the team. But um, with Willie Fritz, we know with this with this program, he's built a team that a program that went from every once in a while look like that things were were good to now where there's more of a. Wouldn't you say there's more in with his era of 
Tulane football, there's more of consistency now where you guys are going to a bowl. Um, there's more – the expectations are higher than they have been in the past. Yeah, that's fair. It's you know, three straight bowl games, which is seems like a small thing in the span of college football. Well, it's never happened here before. And they came into this year with – they aren't satisfied with a six-win, seven-win season. Now, the start of this year – is going to put them up against it when it comes to that. And this game will dictate a lot on Saturday. But, yeah, the the expectations are growing here, and it's been a long time coming in that regard. What, what Willie Fritz has done here is not just remake this team and kind of re, you know, make it under his view what he wants to do, but he's also, you know, kind of rebooted – the interest in Tulane in this city because there was a good 20 years where this program was just not on the radar here. And it's, it's going to take a while to dig out of that, but it, it's been happening. It's starting. It's, it is emerging from that dark time of the you know 2000s and the early 2010s. Um, you know, you, the key to that is you got to keep building off of it and, the schedule was brutal in the first month of the year. It was made harder based on having to evacuate and setting up base in Birmingham and not having a home game when you should have had two in that time. Um, and now it doesn't get any easier with league play because, you know, after this weekend, you got Houston, you got SMU, you got UCF, you got Cincinnati. Those are your next four after East Carolina. So, um, I mean, the road to hoe is rocky. But, uh, I mean, they feel very confident about this group being able to manage it. And, and Corey, with that the very fact of you were talking about the game for uh, both teams, um, every coach is going to say how big each week is and this. But both of these teams, uh, the one thing I can say about the Pirates season so far is Mike Houston has a program now where it's instead of like where fans used to say, which was sad, uh, well, it was close. This was a closer game today, you know, like under the Mo era to now where there are more 50 50 games or more competitive games. And this is another example of you have a, I think, a good Tulane team, a good program under Willie Fritz that a lot of people in this country that follow college football have a lot of respect for what he's done in New Orleans. And then you have a Mike Houston who has a team that's up and coming. They're both these programs. Uh, meeting this week, it couldn't, I mean, it's, it's almost like a bowl like atmosphere. Uh, for the Saturday, it seems like it's been that way all season long for the Pirates. Every single game has been that way. Well, and, you know, I don't imagine either team, either coaching staff are putting a very strong emphasis on this game as opposed to any other game so far, any other game to come. But I think fans and those of us outside the buildings do comprehend what this game will mean come end of November for these two. Um, if East, if Tulane wins this game, uh, they have to go four and three the rest of the way, which is still a challenge, but with, with the schedule they have, but it's doable. Uh, if they lose five and two is really, really hard to figure out how they find a way to do that because the, the, they, they have USF, that's the team beneath them right now. They have and Tulsa, depending on how they shake out. Tulsa's in town in November, but you're going to have to grab a, a game, the, the Houston game next week. You're going to have to get 
you know, a trip to UCF or you're going to have to get the trip to Memphis at the end of the year if you want to be in the bowl. Four and three is a lot easier to figure out and do that math than five and two with the schedule you have. And it's the same thing with ECU, where if they win this game, move to three and two, you can find three more wins on their schedule because of Navy, USF, and Temple are all on there. Um, loss makes a, a route to six wins much more challenging. So, yeah, it, it's not all the eggs in this basket, but it's getting pretty close. And so I think that's understood by people heading into this game and people that'll be, I would imagine, very close to filling up that stadium on Saturday with it being homecoming, with it being a beautiful day, uh, 3.30 kick, the, the favorite kick time at East Carolina. Um, I will imagine that's going to be a pretty raucous environment as it should be and then add on to it what this game could mean come Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, yeah, this is going to be something to watch. Corey, one of the things that really concerns me about this matchup on the East Carolina end is just uh, we talked about Michael Pratt, um, a very solid Tulane passing attack. Uh, East Carolina has really, de- really just struggled on so far defending the past. Uh, and you saw it again against Charleston Southern. A lot of that, you know, was – plays that when plays broke down but um, I thought that was an excellent game plan by Charleston Southern I mean you know they were overmatching the trenches and they weren't just going to be able to run the football but so well uh, they really threw it about 70 percent of the time threw for over 400 yards they took what was there when the coverage was soft they were content to you know take the hitches take the slants throw the underneath stuff and then they were able to you know hit some uh, post routes and uh, down the field throws at times but um, you know, looking at this game, that's something that really concerns me. Yeah, I think Tulane feels like if this becomes a matchup of passing games, they're going to win it. Um, not just because of what East Carolina's struggles have been in that regard, defending it. But, they, I mean, that's been the strength of their offense so far. It has been a split attack under Willie Fritz by and large or predominantly run. The running game has not yet quite gotten there this year. Um, and that it's been hard to figure out why it's been a, a battle. They only had 90 yards on the ground last week against UAB. And, and so, I mean, they have Cam Carroll and Tajay Spears, who Spears is back to 100% towards ACL earlier last year. And, and YG Booker as a slot back, who was really the only real you know, impactful rusher last week. Um, they want to get the running game going they might see the opportunity this weekend to still let take to the air um, because they feel, I think they feel they got the advantage there. And if this is going to become a higher scoring affair, they like their chances because that means it's going to be Pratt versus Ehlers and ECU secondary versus what Tulane has already done through the air this year. Corey, I know last year and previous years, we obviously know about Tulane with their, defensive line, having first-rounders. But uh, talk about this year. The matchup I'm looking forward to seeing is the – we talk about always the line play, but the offensive line of East Carolina versus the defensive line of Tulane is one area that I've been looking at. But you have more of an insight uh, from the Tulane's perspective on the defensive line. How does that compare to what we've seen in previous years with Willie Fritz and his program? Yeah, I think it's it's close to being to where he would want it that we saw last year. Patrick Johnson had a monster game last year in Greenville. He's in the NFL now. 
Cam Samples on the other side. He's in the NFL now. Um, and they're still they're, – they're not quite the stage of fully replacing those two guys. But Angel Anderson and Darius Hodges, uh, the joker linebacker position, it's an edge rush position that will sometimes drop back in coverage. They've been good. They have been – it's been, been a nice one-two tandem uh, on that side. And then a transfer from Memphis, JoJo Dorsis. Um, I think they're looking for a little bit more out of him on the other defensive end spot. The middle of the defensive line has been really good. Jeffrey Johnson, the nose tackle. Noah Seiden, the defensive tackle, who's going to get the start this weekend. He had two sacks against UAB. And a day what was tricky to actually get into the backfield for, for this defense. Eric Hicks up front as well ha- has been pretty solid. And so the middle of the line has been pretty stout. I think they're looking for about a, another extra step up from their edge rushers right now. Um, it's not 2021 or not 2020 level. Um, it's getting there. No doubt with the defensive side of the ball as a whole, what uh, what can Pirate fans expect for this Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the depth of this team is in linebacker and it's tested because I mean, truly one of their most important guys on this team, Nick Anderson's out for this game with an ankle injury. And he's, you know, he's a bit of an undersized linebacker, but he is a, a huge vocal leader. He always seems to be in the right spot. This team really gravitates around him. But the key there is that, that they lose his vocal side of things, but they, you know, they're able to replace him with a, a Marvin Moody or Kevin Henry in the linebacker core alongside Dorian Williams who is a, just a physical freak. Like, he, he's, he's going to be in the NFL. He is just, when you see him, he's number two. Um, you're going to be just wowed by the guy. The, the secondary was the issue last year, and it, you've seen glimmers of it bouncing back this year. They've given up a couple of deep bombs in the last two weeks. Uh, a lot of teams are going to give up deep bombs to Ole Miss. That offense is crazy. But they gave up one to UAB last week as well. Jalen Monroe is probably going to be the guy on C.J. Johnson, uh, one quarterback position. And then Lance Robinson on the other side transfers in from Kansas State. That They play a lot of nickel formation. And a true freshman, Jaden Kennedy, has been really, really solid as the nickel back. Um, and so, like, I think there's, they're waiting for a little bit more from that group. Chris Hampton, the new D.C., was a cornerbacks coach at Tulane a few years ago. Um, his task is to shore that up, and um, it's it's not quite there yet, but it's close to being there. The talent's there, the skill set's there, the execution has been a little bit wobbly here of late. No question about it. When you look at uh, these two teams, uh, both teams, I think, uh, have I, – I thought about this. I was in, on the campus this afternoon at practice. I really believe that the, da- the most dangerous word in sports may be potential, but both these teams I was thinking about, knowing you were coming on tonight for the preview, both of these teams, I believe, have the potential to be bowl teams, but that's dangerous to use that word, right, because we're not we're not there yet. But both these teams definitely can be bowl-eligible teams at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, whoever wins this game is going to have that in their front, you know, on their front burner. Whoever loses this game is going to have to scramble. And so that's why there's so much importance on this. I think, I think talent-wise, Tulane entered this year believing they were, they're not just a bowl team. They were a comfortable bowl team. The, the schedule and the hurricane has thrown some of that off.
Um, and now they have eight games to figure that out again, that hopefully, knock on wood, will be a normal run through instead of being disrupted again. Um, I think, you know, you guys are much closer to those proceedings than I am in Greenville now. But I, I you know, from what I've gathered from afar, there's been some decent thinking about this team finally cracking that postseason drought. Um, they've had, you know, they had that win in South Carolina, but they also had a loss at Marshall um, that they were able to flip both of those around. Uh, they didn't look great against Charleston Southern, but they got to win there. They're, they're in a better spot right now than Tulane is. Um, and so it's a lot easier to do the math for ECU as it is as, as opposed to Tulane right now. But um, to see, I guess, the another year, uh, just uh, another uh, an older group at East Carolina under Mike Houston, this is the time when it should start really coming together here. And it seems like it's close. I certainly hope it waits a week, but it seems like it's close. Corey, hey, it's Kyle. Uh, finally joining the show. Better late than never, I guess. Um, hey, Kyle. I, I don't know if it's been talked about yet or not. Uh, you, you guys obviously uh, have been playing in Birmingham. I think you guys played in Nashville this past week. I guess you didn't want to give UAB a home game. No, um, we played at home. Yeah, it was in it was in New Orleans. It was in New Orleans. Yeah, we Where was I getting week. it was in Nashville from? I don't know who was in that. I think Vanderbilt played in Nashville last week. Well, I mean, if, I don't. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. All right, I don't. I guess I just made that crap up in my head. Okay, so you guys were finally, uh, you guys were finally in New Orleans for a home game. Okay, yes. All right. Well, I, I literally, I, I don't know. I dreamt it up. Forget it. And then uh, you know what? Then, then forget my point. My point was going to be: Are you guys worn out? Uh, you, you had to travel to Nashville. You've been in Birmingham. But forget it. For the, the point, point's well, not there. It's, hey, it's I, a good I, point, Kyle, because it, it is something that, uh, and I will address it because I think it did creep into last week's game. Because you know what I was telling these guys earlier, Kyle, is that this week leading up to this game is the first normal week they've had. Um, because they still were living in hotels here in New Orleans last week. They weren't on campus for classes yet. It was still virtual. Um, and and they had trouble getting into facilities. They weren't really allowed to be on campus yet until last weekend. That's when everyone was moving back in. So I think it, it certainly crept in at Ole Miss two weeks ago, just the wear and tear of it all. I think it did just mentally. There was a mental fatigue that still hung over this team last week against UAB, despite the fact that they were playing at home. It still didn't feel like a, a week. It still didn't feel like you were prepping for a home game. There was still so much swirling around. Um, that it was hard to really establish your rhythm again. This week has been different. Everyone's back on campus unless they're, you know, dorms are still an issue here. Some guys are still living in different spots because their, their homes or their apartments are damaged right now. But it was a normal week. Classes are back in schedule. Students are back and they know what's on the horizon. They know they're leaving tomorrow. They know what the game is. Like all yeah. that's set. Nothing's changed. They could use their facilities again. So if there is a lackluster showing this week, you know, the mental mistakes that I've seen the last two weeks of missing tackles, of dropping passes, of, you know, of uh, I'm having a mental mistake right now. But they, they were sloppy the last two weeks. And if that creeps in again this week, then I think it's a, a bigger cause for concern. But right now there's just a kind of a sense of they're, they're able to take a breath this week and actually have a normal approach to a football game. Yeah, and I'm glad to see Tulane getting things back to normal. I mean, just uh... – 
we're catching them. Could be catching them at the uh, at the wrong time. They're getting things back to normal, though. I'm, though I'm glad you guys are, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's these kids were they handled this as well as you could imagine, and, and I was with them in Birmingham. And the the thing about that is, you could walk around at nine thirty at night, and there'd be players just hanging out playing Xbox. There'd be players just kind of chilling there, and and I know those guys were bouncing off the walls, like, because it's, you're in one spot every day, all the time. Um, and uh, the way that they were able to navigate through that was really impressive. It doesn't show on the record, but being around them, the resolve that they had, um, uh, it's something that I hope I never have to, like, actually navigate through again. Uh, certainly because of the circumstances, but the way that Tulane football and Tulane athletics did that, pulled that off was, was something else. I'm not sure how many other schools around the country could do it. Tulane just did. Yeah. And you mentioned the record one and three, but Ole Miss is elite this year. Oklahoma, you know, Tulane played a great game at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not as good as they have in years past offensively, but good defense and still it's Oklahoma, very talented. And then uh, UAB is, uh, you know, uh, one of the two best teams, maybe three best teams in Conference USA uh, this year and have been in recent years. And uh, UAB, you know, who knows, could be a conference opponent here soon. Um, I can tell so, you this, uh, being around UAB people, they would like that. <laughs> Last yeah. week we talked well, about I, it, certainly. I, I think it's probably going to happen. I, I don't. I don't, you know, I don't think this Mountain West stuff's going to end up playing out. But um, I, either way, UAB still may be in. But I, uh, so my point is, UAB another good football team. So yeah, Tulane one and three, but lost to three quality quality opponents. Yeah, I mean, they knew their schedule was brutal heading into the year, and it, it proved to be even more so because. Oklahoma was moved to Oklahoma. Morgan State got moved to Birmingham, and they, they had easy win there, but it still wasn't a home game. And then they bust to Ole Miss, had a rain delay at a night game, got trucked, and then had to bust back late at night. They got back to Birmingham at 4 in the morning and then got right back on a bus and drove back to New Orleans that, that next day. Uh, and then you face UAB with a, a crazy week back on campus. Um, so they knew it was going to be a challenge heading in. It became – that, you know, close to an insurmountable one in the last two weeks of the year or two weeks of the month, I should say, and doesn't get easier because this game is, you know, we're, we see it for what it is, uh, what's on the line for both of these teams this week. And then the, the rest of October for Tulane is gauntlet, an absolute gauntlet. And what so, does the rest of the schedule look like in October? Houston on Thursday night here in New Orleans on, on ESPN. Then they'll have an off week and they go to SMU. Then they go to UCF and then they have Cincinnati. And so, like, those four, like, it, it's – it's you got maybe the top four right there. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. But, look, after what Tulane's been through and now you got to travel to Greenville and then turn around and play on a Thursday and travel back to New Orleans, somebody needs to needs – to, uh, ESPN, that ain't, that game needs to be moved to Saturday. Um, well, it won't. I can tell you that. And Houston plays tomorrow night too, so they'll have an extra day to work with. Uh, they play Tulsa tomorrow night, and so somebody somebody needs to use some sense there. Uh, well, I mean, I know I know I'll TV dictates everything, but Tulane uh, uh, Tulane knows uh, knows not just Tulane football. I have found in a very short amount of time here Tulane athletics, the school. 
um, they know how to um, weather punches. And it, they're, they're getting a lot thrown at them here over the first five weeks of this fall season. Um, you, you know, you add in on top of all of this, all the conference realignment stuff. And, you know, our hotel was right across the street from the headquarters of the SEC while well, all of this was happening. And so it was like, it just felt like it, one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and it keeps on kind of feeling that way for Tulane. Uh, it's, it's a resilient bunch. And, you know, you know, nationally, a lot of people mention Tulane kind of as a, you know, scoff, a throwaway name, and they're aware of that too. Um, but I, I can tell you from, from personal experience from being around this group, not just with football, I've been around basketball here this week and the athletics departments, uh, they know how to handle uh, not quite being treated or be, being dealt blows. Um, it, it's been impressive to see how they've handled just everything that's come their way. It might not always result in wins, but the way that they've managed this, the way that them as people have maneuvered through all of this and continue to uh, is something else. Yeah, who does the wave have after Houston? I'm sorry? Who does the wave have after Houston? It's an off week and then a Thursday nighter at SMU. All right, so you get an off weekend there. That's good. Yeah. Look, I, I – I hate that you guys play Houston on the Thursday night after coming on the road to East Carolina. I think Houston for East Carolina and Tulane is totally winnable. That's why I keep telling everybody, people want to make this game out to be the most important game of the year, and yes, the next game, and it's a big game, and it'd be nice to be 3-2. and two. But I'm not so convinced that we can't lose to Tulane and then turn around and beat Houston in a couple weeks on the road. Uh, to me, when, when, when I look at, you know, when you're playing pick-out wins on the schedule, to me, the must-win games – are Temple, South Florida, and Navy for East Carolina. And if we take care of those three, that gets us five. We just need to win, to me, one of the next three to get to six. I, I would tend to agree from afar. I think that we're, you know, Tulane doesn't have the luxury of that second win right now, and so that's why this game and, – and the schedule's harder, frankly, for Tulane than ECU moving forward because – USF is the only one of those, that group that's on our schedule. And, and Tulsa's one and three. We'll see what they look like come November when they come into New Orleans. But um, this, is a, this is a must get for Tulane right now this week. And, and they feel like they've been actually been able to approach this as just a normal game this week as opposed to also dealing with where our players are staying in New Orleans. How do we get back on campus? You know, uh, the, oh, our, you know, it's leaking in the weight room. Like uh, they don't have to deal with that right th this week. They haven't had to deal with that. So uh, if it isn't a best foot forward effort by the green wave on Saturday, I'd be surprised. Corey, a few minutes ago, we talked about the, uh, the matchup with the Tulane offense against uh, the East Carolina defense, specifically that passing game. Uh, now, you know, there are a couple things I want you to touch on from the East Carolina offense against the Tulane defense standpoint. One, what has Coach Fritz had to say regarding Keaton Mitchell? Um, Keaton Mitchell, the COVID freshman running back who uh, has three touchdowns of 63 yards or more in the first four games. And then also, and I'll give Kyle credit for this, he had looked over the box score against UAB and noticed that the UAB tight end had five or six catches in uh, East Carolina tight end Shane Calhoun. I think he has nine catches, nine or ten catches for the season, but eight of those came in one game 
against Marshall, which was the best performance by an East Carolina tight end in nearly 30 years. So well, um, I'll address the tight end thing first. UAB's tight ends and Garrett Prince is their main one, but Hayden Pittman, the other one, they catch about 45% of their balls. Uh, and so that wasn't a shock that the tight ends got theirs. Um, so I don't know how they feel about Shane Calhoun as, I mean, if he's open, he's going to be, he's going to have space to work with. Um, they're, they're more keyed in on Keaton Mitchell right now. I think everyone would be foolish to not be because Tulane has struggled tackling the last two weeks. And if you're going to not tackle Keaton Mitchell, he will burn you and it will not take long. So um, he's very much on the forefront of Chris Hampton and Willie Fritz uh, entering this game. It's him, it's Tyler Sneed, uh, and it's and it's Holton. Like those are the guys that I mean, they're they're looking at everybody. Make no question about it. And Calhoun is certainly going to be on their game plan. But you, the way UAB uses their tight ends, it's not a shock to see what they did last week. The biggest shock was that Tulane just struggled tackling a lot of guys. And if you're going to whiff on Keaton Mitchell or not bring him down on first contact, then he's going to kill you. And if you're not going to get Tyler Sneed in open space, then he's going to do some damage on you. And if you have a shot at Holt Nailers, then you've got to, you've got to better land it because he can bounce off plenty and he can leave the pocket if he needs to. So, um, you know, Calhoun is certainly, you know, they're looking at him, but it, Two five is the guy that they're really focusing in on. Corey, as far as uh, this game is concerned, one of the things that the intangibles uh, we look at is special teams. What about the uh, special teams as far as punting and place? Everybody laughs about, for example, with East Carolina about John Young. I know he's named to. The uh, punting, uh, like the best punter, one of the best punters in the nation, the list this week, right? Yeah, uh, Ray, Ray Guy. Thank you, Ray Guy. I couldn't think of his name. Um, you know that. But to me, that's a big deal. Your place kicking is a big deal. And obviously, punting is a big deal. Obviously, running back, if it's punts or kickoffs, is a really big deal. And how you play all that stuff. So, for Tulane, how, how has special teams been? Well, you must – have a little birdie here in New Orleans here, Dave, because uh, I, I spoke to our punter today to be on our pregame show Saturday, Ryan Wright, um, because uh, he's been awesome this year. He is, I, you have a matchup of two of the best punters in the country this weekend, and it's not going to draw headlines, but they are going to have impacts on this game. You know, John Young was national punter of the week for what he did last week against Charleston Southern. Ryan Wright has a 68-yard punt under his belt already this year. He has pinned a couple punts already inside the 20 this year. He's been on that Ray Guy list already this season. Um, If this turns into a field position game, um, Tulane has the punter to be more than happy to do that. Sixth-year kicker, Merrick Glover. He just took over second on the Tulane all-time points list last week. Um, so he has been as sure-footed as they come. He was nursing a leg injury at the start of the year. He's pretty well close to 100% now. But Glover and, and, and Ryan Wright, and then you add in our kickoff guy, Casey Glover, who's Merrick's younger brother. He's kicked three onside kicks already this year, and Tulane's recovered two of them, and they should have had the third at Ole Miss. And so the special teams have – has been pretty well on point this year. Ryan Wright has an NFL leg as a punter. 
Um, and so if it turns into that, then Tulane is very confident about him being able to flip a field. Yeah, I think both schools have uh, pretty good special teams at this point. Um, you know, we uh, kicked an onside kick, recovered it. One was kicked against us this past week. We recovered it, and obviously the punter is very comparable. So uh, I think uh, our special teams may be a toss-up. Um, one thing that has surprised me so far this year, uh, we, we haven't had uh, the big kickoff or punt return. Uh, how's your kick coverage? Kick coverage has been good. Uh, I mean, and that's that's really the underappreciated element of special teams, I feel, is that the coverage teams don't get a ton of focus, but the two lanes – return coverage has been really, really, really solid. They're, they lead the country right now in punt return coverage. Teams are going negative nine yards on punt returns right now on this team. And so um, they it's not just the legs and the feet of these guys, but the coverage teams have been in their lanes properly. Um, Tulane has not been too inspiring on their own returns. I'll say that they're waiting for Jaquan Jackson to kind of round into form, but he's been battling little injuries here and there throughout the year. Um, he can be a real dynamic weapon if he gets ahead of steam and finds a lane that hasn't quite found that yet. But in terms of coverage teams, Tulane has been pretty superb at it. Looking forward to the, the matchup. Certainly uh, one question I have, is there a restaurant this is a non-football question. A restaurant that you're dying to come back to is a sub dogs. Is it a barbecue joint that you said, man, I got to have that meal from what place? I'm putting you on the spot. I know there's so many great places. Well, I'll say this. I, I have set up uh, my radio team. I've already booked them a reservation for the Rick house. Um, I, I know Good I'll call. be um, I'll be wow. I'll be skid, I'll be skedaddling with some ECU folks once I'm done setting up the booth tomorrow night to uh, to our usual spot uh, at Tiebreakers, um, but uh, you know if I can sneak over to B's Barbecue Saturday morning, I might do so. There you That's go, ladies. Yeah, B B's is certainly legendary, Corey, and it, one of the great things about B's and they have such a reputation. Uh, as far as I know, they still do not have a telephone. They Correct. They, they, need cash. they don't. Yeah, you got to pay with cash. It's either Bees or um, Yaba Mediterranean, right by Dowdy Ficklin there down Charles Boulevard. That was that was a go-to spot for me, and I do miss that place regularly. Um, and you know, I there's great food everywhere in this city. Make no question. Yeah, you've been Yaba. able to fill those voids. Um, He's a Yaba Mediterranean. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's right down Charles across uh, across 14th Street, um, close to the campus. Yeah. Good euros. They they don't do euros. It's chicken and beef shawarma, uh, okay. and it, you get in bowls, wraps. Uh, uh, you can get pita sandwiches, so you can essentially make a euro uh, with the beef shawarma. I mean, it is otherworldly good. Like it, okay. it, it, it became my favorite spot in Greenville before I left. All right, let's check it out. Hey, uh, Corey, let's go back to that graphic, and this time, I'm sure the internet for everybody will work out perfectly. Um, there we go. The graphic bubble. We wanted to do that again. Yeah. And Kyle's back with us. So this time it's going to work. Yeah. you know, taking a look at this series dating back to 1991, um, the first meeting between these programs, East Carolina won 38 to 28, but 
uh, en route to that 11-1 season. And I believe that was uh, senior day at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, excuse me, just Ficklin Stadium back then. But um, the Green Wave gave the Pirates everything they wanted and then some um, before ECU went on to that 38-28 win. But then you know, some of the other games that come to mind um, or things that come to mind about this series is that East Carolina led it 8 to nothing in Greenville, um, but Tulane is going for their third straight win in Greenville, um, going back to that overtime victory in the Scotty Montgomery era. And then last year on the Green Wave really came to Greenville and put a beat down on the Pirates 38 to 21. Yeah, that 2017 game, guys, was um, was one of the coldest games, not the coldest games, but it was one of the coldest games I've ever been to in Greenville. And on top of that, I think that I want to get your thoughts, guys. That's probably the poorly, poorly. I don't know what the word attendance wise. That was probably the worst I've ever seen. I heard that most, most poorly attended. Thank you. Like twelve thousand is what I heard. The actual butts in the seats that day, that night, um, and then add, add and so the entry was the fact that the Pirates uh, looked like they were going to win the game, and then of course to go in overtime and um, just couldn't get it done. And then Tulane did. So. Yeah, you want to talk about disappointing, disappointing Tulane games? Forget that game. Um, twenty thirteen, twenty thirteen. Yeah, we triple, o- triple overtime. Oh yeah, triple overtime. Ten, yeah. ten win season uh, for the Pirates, and we uh, we were down in that game. Had a chance to win it in the fourth quarter had we been more aggressive, uh, but instead we tied, sent it to overtime, and then lose it in triple OT. And, and that uh, was in New Orleans, wasn't it? It was. It was. And, but, yeah. Was Wasn't there a there's a hundred yard pick six in that game as well? Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, no, another one. This was in New Orleans, uh, 2008. Uh, we were rolling and getting a dog fight with Tulane and lose. Um, help me out, Bubba. Uh, the defensive defensive end. Um, Quint uh, linebacker. Quint, Quint, yeah, Quint, 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 Quint Cotton. Cotton. Lose Quentin Cotton for the year. Oh, yeah. After he uh, after he blocked yeah. the field goal and returns it for a touchdown. Yeah, he was one of my favorite linebackers we ever had. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some interesting moments in the uh, in, in the series history. But you're right. At one point, East Carolina dominated the series in Greenville, but uh, the last couple have gone the way of the wave. Uh, hopefully, we can break that tendency this weekend. I, I don't. This is an interesting game to me. I. I I could literally see – nothing would surprise me in this game. I could see East Carolina winning a close one. I could see Tulane winning a close one. I, see, I could see Tulane winning by a couple touchdowns. I could see East Carolina winning by a couple touchdowns. Nothing would surprise me in this game. This is one of those games I can't call it. And uh, if you look at the spread, it stayed at four all week. Very little movement, which tells me a lot of other people can't call it either. They're not touching it. What do you think, Corey? Well, I, I've never been a gambling guy. When I saw four point favorite for us, that was about what I was what I what I would have put that at, based on what I'd see I've seen from this team the last two weeks. And it's been, I mean, just simple things that they've missed on. And so, cleaning that up, I think if they're able to shore up some of these this mental concentration lapses that they've had. Um, I think talent wise, 
And scheme wise, I do think they they have an edge here, but they've shot themselves in the foot a lot here, and they did it a ton, way too many times against UAB. So um, I think it I think it's a close game. I think it's if it is a high scoring game that favors Tulane. If it's a knockdown drag him out game, I haven't seen enough from the Tulane running game yet to feel confident they can be okay in something like that. Um, do they have the ability to win a game like that? Absolutely, they do. Um, but if they, if this wants to be an over, like which sits in the low 60s, I think right now, if they can go over that, I think they win this game. Well, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Kyle and Bubba, uh, Corey will bring him into it. But one of the things that people have been talking about in Pirate Nation, Greenville and beyond, is certainly the conservative offense of this staff. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If you play conservative against Tulane and play the conservative offense that they want to run, then Tulane will easily win this game. It's going to be two or three touchdown uh, victories. So um, that's not what I wanted to see. Obviously, it would be great for Corey Glory and the voice of our friend for the voice of the Green Wave. But they're going to have to, what my point is, they're going to have to really open this game up and they're going to have to trust their quarterback. They're going to have to trust this team, show you trust in your team. Then that gives a shot to beat Tulane. If they play conservative not to lose, um, then you're going to have a nice bus ride back or a nice flight back to New Orleans. Corey, you say schematically, uh, I, I, you see an advantage for Tulane. Can you elaborate on that? I just think with the way that the new offensive coordinator Chip Long, what he has put in here, a lot of misdirections, a lot of going against the grain that, the, that Michael Pratt has really taken to and absorbed and mastered already four weeks into working with him. Um, that it, it looks crisp. It looks like uh, they, they moved the ball at will at Oklahoma. They, they moved the ball uh, you know, pretty well against UAB, just couldn't finish off drives. Um, and so I think this offense is on the same page right now in terms of being able to get this passing game going. Um, got a hold on the ball. It's seven drops against UAB, and it killed a bunch of drives. Um, but I think it, it seems like it's fluid right now and from everything i've gathered hearing from from people back in greenville the, the ecu offense hasn't quite looked that way this year it has had moments but it hasn't been start to finish what they're looking for and so i think with the way Tulane's offense can play and has been playing most of this year um i if this needs to be a you know a shootout game i i like Tulane's chances in that yeah i um our offense, you know, it's hard to say. I, if you look against Marshall, the offense is very good. Besides that, it's 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 it sucked, just to be honest. Except for, except for big plays, you know, we'll, we'll hit a big play with uh, with Keaton Mitchell. Uh, but besides that, um, that Marshall game, we we saw a lot of things. Uh, saw a lot of things we haven't seen before since. That, and I don't know what we're saving them for. Maybe this week. Who knows? Um. Have you, have you got a sense from the coaching staff that you think, or that you think, that they think that uh, East Carolina had maybe held back some things against Charleston Southern? Uh, that was a lot of speculation uh, around here from uh, some people in the media and fans that, um, you know, we kind of showed some of our hand against Marshall, but uh, there's been some speculation that we've been saving a lot of things for conference play. Uh, not that I've heard. Uh, I think okay. they're 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 certainly looking at the Charleston film. I think they're they're wondering more about. I mean, they're they're looked at the whole thing. I'm wondering more about how 
ECU gave up that many passing yards to Charleston. I think that's that's what piqued my interest about that game. Oh, uh, I, I, I can tell you how. Um, they they got a mobile quarterback and an air raid offense, which is something you don't see very often. And uh, we uh, we just we just I, we we did a good job getting pressure on him. Uh, we we didn't see very motivated to finish the job. Um, he you can't just you can't just get pressure on that guy and force him into throwing. He likes to throw on the run. So if you get after him, you need to get to him. You make him run, he's more comfortable. He likes throwing on the run. And uh, sometimes I think coaches I think themselves. Um, sometimes I think when you're playing a quarterback like that, drop back in coverage and make him make reads. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's an interesting point because after the Ole Miss loss for us, I was talking with Coach Fritz after the game, um, and he mentioned that he felt that maybe that game they overprepared for. And so, and it seemed like, you know, I don't know if they were able to dial it back a ton against UAB, but it, it is something a paralysis by analysis does exist at times. And the, the chip long offense is complicated. And so I, I, early in the year, before the year in camp, it had plenty of speed bumps, uh, but it has looked smooth in gameplay here. So uh, that that is an element here where if you think you can just, you know, buckle it down and put everything to paper and then you'll be set. Well, that can also be a detriment here. And Tulane felt it was two weeks ago. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, we were talking, I, 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 don't, I don't know everything that Tulane's keying in on for this matchup. I can only look at what I've been keying in on. I, they're they're going to take what they've seen from ECU and their best and how they perform their best at times, that Marshall fourth quarter, the Charleston Southern second quarter, and defensively throughout the course of the season, especially that South Carolina game, they're, they're going to look at that and say, this is them at their best. How do we stop it? They're not going to anticipate. They're going to look sloppy offensively, um, but they're going to go after their best performances and try and right. scheme for that. Yeah, no doubt. I, my question, Corey, would be along those lines with, with uh, Tulane, um, coming into the game you're talking about the uh, earlier there's two things i want to mention you were talking earlier about uh obviously all the travel and the craziness because of the hurricane and being where you really relocated one of the things i want to mention to you earlier i just realized i forgot for east carolina the 99 uh, miami game that kyle and i talk about and bubba we talk about that a lot but um because of hurricane floyd and the guys missing two weeks of class some of the guys lost everything they had it's Har River Apartments, a different place. But anyway, we're at the fact that we're uh, we had that game coming up. We had to move the game from Greenville uh, to Raleigh. Les Robinson, athletic director at the time, let us use that field. We ended up beat coming back to win that game. What was it, Kyle? 27-23, One of the best games yeah. of all. all yeah, time. and you're kind of bearing the lead there. Um, we spent the uh, we spent the week in Columbia. We. The Pirates played two games after that hurricane. They, uh, we, we, we got out of Greenville right after Hurricane Floyd before the flooding started and uh, got down to Columbia and then got stranded in Columbia because everything had flooded in the in the in-between time in Greenville. So the Pirates got stranded in Columbia, uh, got back to Raleigh, had to move the Miami game to Raleigh. They bust fans over to Raleigh, and uh, we beat NC State. Or excuse me, we beat Miami in NC State. Um, so uh, similar situation to what Tulane dealt with. Uh, we were only misplaced for a week 
Uh, well, misplaced longer than that. The kids got back on campus and they couldn't live on campuses. The dorms were flooded. Uh, campus wasn't open, et cetera. But at least they were in Greenville. Um, whereas you guys were misplaced for, what, three weeks? Yeah. Well, my, my point of bringing that up was the fact, is that a possibility? Uh, it helped the Pirates out at the South Carolina game and obviously with uh, that next week uh, with Miami. Is that a way for the guys not to be distracted where you have everybody like a, it's like a team building thing where you have everybody together? I mean, I'm not saying that trying to put too much of a positive spin, but at the same time, it does help to have the team together and not with the girlfriends and all the distractions that come with being at home. Well, it was um, it's complicated because it was the best out of a bad situation. It could have been far worse what they had to manage because this was put in place after Katrina because once when Katrina hit, uh, Tulane football played 12 games in 12 cities, and that was a talented team that just I yep. mean, they had a horrible season because they were staying in – condemned dorms at Louisiana Tech and they were playing in Baton Rouge and Mobile and, and just bouncing all over the place. And when that happened, the athletic department said, we, we can't do that again. So they put this plan in place and this is the first time they had to enact it. Um, and so it could have been a hell of a lot worse than what it was. Th th this team did have to spend all their time together. And so there was a, a unity element to this. Um, but you talk about the distractions involved. Tulane football was the only one there. I mean, Tulane swimming and diving was there. Tulane men's and women's basketball were there. Tulane track and field and cross country were there. Tulane bowling showed up. Tennis showed up. The, the athletic department was there. It wasn't just football staying in a hotel. There were 300 plus people there. And so there were still plenty of people to uh, Tulane volleyball. That, that's the other big one in our season right now. Um, and they didn't have meeting spaces separate from everybody else. They'd be meeting in lobby. They, they didn't have a locker room. They put all their gear in a ballroom where the equipment team was working, where the training table was set up. And um, there were plenty of distractions, frankly, there. It, it could have been far more difficult to handle than what it was. And that's why this plan was put in place because this was enacted very well, but there was still a lot that this team had to wrap their head around. And, and the other factor was that, you know, I dealt with this. You're always on the clock. Like you're, you're, you know, coaches always knew you were four floors above the, the meeting room. Like, you know, you're, you know, the equipment team never got a moment off because if something needed to happen, well, I just came down the elevator and worked. So, I mean, it's, you couldn't separate, you know, football and life. There were no classes to do that either. So, it drained. It really was a drain on a lot of guys towards the end of it because it felt like camp all over again. That was a similar mantra that I heard. It was just, it just felt like camp and they were ready for camp to be over. And then they had to do this with three days worth of clothes because that's how long they were told to pack for. And for many of them, just not knowing what was lying in wait when they returned. So, um, you know, the good thing that can come out of that, is that they did get to come together a little bit more closely and bond over this. Um, and it could have been a much bigger issue than what was set up here, but there were still plenty of mental hurdles that were challenging to leap over. And Corey, before we let you go, by the way, we've set a new record guys, the longest appearance ever by Corey Glore on the show. So uh, thank I you. Very much for, 
<laughs> no, that's definitely not the case. <laughs> uh, Curveball Corey, Ben Byram chiming in. So before we let you go, wanted to uh, Ben Byram, of course, producer from 94.3 The Game. Ben, what's up, dude? Appreciate you, man. Uh, you and PJ always get to us uh, from 94.3 The Game. So Ben is going to do some awesome things in this business, and I can't wait to see what he has in store here. He was awesome last uh, baseball season for me. Corey, no uh, before uh, well, I want to get one more thing in here for Corey before we go, we briefly touched on it. Do you have any thoughts on conference expansion? Any theories? Any prognostications? Any rumors you're hearing? Uh, well, yeah, I think you're on by this point, Kyle. Forgive me. Um, I can tell you that folks around UAB that I talked to last week are very much uh, looking forward to a potential yep. invitation. Um, and I think that's a home run addition like it, there's no fault there's no con to uab at this point um if if what i'm the seeing is true, uh if what i'm seeing is true about air force and colorado state that i struggle with right now um i do i think somewhat understand the appeal of air force especially with navy already on board but um colorado state gives you nothing that you're looking for. Um, and um, I don't think either one of those schools are they're a ripple um, that you're that you're needing. Um, it would I would I hope there's a reconsideration there, especially if Boise and San Diego State are already bowing out of this uh, discussion, which it seems like they are. Um, and I would hope that a, a reset and a refocus on um, some teams, some schools, and big markets that are within your footprint still. Oh, um, uh, that's like what I hope we don't do. I, I hope we don't go after all markets. I, I think, I think if you go after all markets just for the sake of going after markets, look at Commerce USA last expansion cycle. Look at the Sun Belt last expansion cycle. Now look where both the leagues are now. Uh, to me, most of your big market schools—Charlotte, Georgia State, and Atlanta—I um, don't really know what they bring to the table. Uh, except market, uh, UAB is a different uh, is a different animal. UAB got a brand new football stadium, has good football. Um, very familiar with them. We were in a conference with them a long time. Um, a lot of these other big market schools, I, I just don't get the appeal. Uh, I'd, I'd whole lot rather, I would whole lot rather be playing Marshall. You know, and if you're gonna if you're gonna add a team from North Carolina, uh, I'd rather add App State than Charlotte. So I. I think it's a mistake, huge mistake, if they target markets. Yeah, for me personally, if you're looking at the Eastern teams, UAB is definitely a home run. Look at what Bill Clark has done. Definitely you get a, not only a great football program. I know people in Alabama may not agree with me, but if you, if they were objective, they would definitely say that that program has come uh, up big time. Plus they have a new stadium and it's a media market. Plus you have – uh, you look at App State and Marshall; those three on the East Coast are the ones that I would add. And, then and if, you're go, if you're going to talk markets, there, there is one school that I'm surprised didn't get more interest. Uh, Florida Atlantic, to me, is a sleeping giant. Um, they have a nice stadium. They have money. They've made big hires in football coaches. Uh, you know, uh, over the years, um, Boca Raton is not exactly Miami, but you know, it, it's its own little market. So uh, Florida Atlantic, if, if it's somebody else that I think should get a strong look. I would add Florida Atlantic now. I mean, UAB, Florida Atlantic are at the top of my list. 
I, I would disagree on a Marshall, but I also am not from, you know, the old days of Conference USA and playing Marshall in a rivalry setup. I, I, I think you mentioned FAU is a sleeping giant. I think Charlotte is too. And that Charlotes, me, so Charlotte's a sleeping pile of crap. Um, <laughs> but they got a lot of money. They got new facilities. and They got a 15,000 seat stadium that was dug um, into the ground. Yeah, that's expandable. <laughs> Um, they built it for expansion in mind. Um, yeah, they can expand think, it up to about forty. You know, I, yeah. I, a lot of a lot of folks have, talk, have floated Coastal Carolina out there. I'm a little bit reticent of that. Um, Coastal doesn't have folks, any money. Coastal doesn't have folks any money. Have Liberty out there. I'd like to stay away from that. Um, but speaking of money, they have money though. They do. A lot. They got plenty of money. Um, I just. If you're not going to be able to get a huge swath westward, I don't see the point of Air Force in Colorado State. And, and then you're going to make travel, for especially for a school like East Carolina, for their Olympic sports, a living nightmare to get out there. And so, um, so I, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's annoying, I'll say that, that we're talking about this again. Um, but uh, I think there are some obvious candidates in my view um, that the American could add, and if they won't replace what they're losing, but it's not going to be as big of a hit. And UAB is the obvious one. I'd love to see them add a couple extra basketball or an Olympic sport only schools because I, you know, I, I, Wichita State and Memphis are probably not too pleased right now. And if you want to keep them around, you better appease them in basketball. So see what VCU is interested in, see what Dayton is interested in, and bring them in for basketball too. Uh, this can't be a football-only driver because uh, otherwise you're going to be dealing with this again in you know four more years. Corey, it's going to be a lot of fun to have you back. It's going to be different when I'm in the press box on Saturday and uh, hear that voice of Corey Glore in the visiting radio booth. And one of the maybe that's the one way we can get Kyle Barber up to the uh, Town Bank Tower is to see Corey Glore in the press box. I don't. We'll see if we can. Make that happen. Um, I have no interest in going to Town Bank Tower Day. We've discussed this many, many times. Um, when they get it paid off, I'll go up there. How about that? <laughs> well, that's actually coming uh, very soon. So Vince McMahon. Oh, you're right. all right. You're, Dave's right to check. How about it? Yeah, exactly. Corey, man, thank you so much. I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad everything worked out. I was worried about you and everybody in New Orleans. And I'm glad I have some family members down there as well. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for us on the show. Good luck on the safe trip, safe travels, and uh, hopefully we can disagree on the outcome of the game. <laughs> hopefully it's one for... We'll, I we'll disagree one way or another. Like, we will be disagreeing. <laughs> I know, but I think... That's the point now. That's why you have me on. No, I, what I was going to say... Uh, <laughs> what, I was, what I'm trying to say is I don't think the Pirates are going to win the game. I don't feel confident about the game. He feels confident about the green wave. So let me explain. So anyway, Corey, have a great night, man. Thank you so much. We'll see you. Thank you, boys. Miss you. Appreciate you. And we'll be talking soon. All right. All right. Take care, Corey. Why does it not make any sense? We actually agree that the green wave are going to win. That's what I'm talking about. So I hope that. That's not what you were saying earlier, Dave. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I I don't know. It depends on which, um, this is the maybe the negative Dave, negative Nelly, but I, I just think that there's going to be. Corey scared you with his confidence? No, 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 no. 
I know that we have the ability. No, I I had I think we have the talent to win the game. I just think uh, the play calling is going to be very conservative. I, I I don't know what to expect from this game. I, I'm all over the place. Nothing would surprise me. Um, as I said earlier, I, I think it could go. It really would not surprise me to see Tulane come out flat as uh, play to piss, um, it, and it wouldn't surprise me to see to see him come out and and throw the ball all over the field and beat us by three touchdowns. Um, nothing was gonna nothing's gonna surprise me in this football game. Um, I, I really think both teams have this game circled. Um, yep. You know, sometimes you can put too much pressure on yourself. I, I don't know it. It, it you know I, I'll I'll say this um, we've not played an overtime game under Mike Houston. Seems wow. like that would eventually happen. Now, hey, there you go. Hey, uh, Bubba, what about the red zone and third down defense? I know you want to talk about that uh, before we go. Yeah, that's something that um, I think it was Coach Harrell referenced in this week's um, post practice remarks. And that's something you look at our defensive numbers. Uh, we're allowing 29.8 per game. Uh, so that's definitely an improvement. I think it's about five or six points better. Actually, I think we we're right around 35 a season ago. But um, and then right at 500 yards a game. But we, in four games, we have forced eight turnovers, which is very good. And, and we're um you know, on the season. Um, so even though we've had some um, miscues on offense and, and turning the ball over, um, we are still uh, to the positive. And then, you know, defensively, we've been very good in the red zone. Uh, where <clears throat> opponents have only scored touchdowns on six out of their their 11 trips into the red zone, and opponents are only converting on third down 36% of the time. Uh, so those are two very good numbers and uh, a reason for optimism moving forward. Hey Dave, I got a question for you, real fast. Okay. Do you like Up Dog? Up Dog. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't no. know what it is. So. Damn it! I forgot. You just you screwed my junk up. You just screwed it okay. up. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, before we go, uh, Bubba, I know you uh, want to talk about the Pulse of Pirate Nation. Uh, we're gonna put that graphic up on the screen, and we also have. Uh, pirate football playback. Do, do, do we know? Do we know? Has anybody gotten any confirmation on why the Parmalee announcement was just made today? As a great, by the way, let me say this first: great move, love it, great idea. I, I just, I'm curious to know why we hadn't heard about it until today. Does any, it, anybody have any idea? In, in, not anybody watching? If if either one of you guys on a, I would say they probably just finalized the deal in the in the last week. That's my guess. Otherwise. Maybe. It just seems unlikely, but I mean that's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean that's my only that's my only guess because you're absolutely right. I was there today and on campus and uh, just thinking about that event and just seeing the email and we were discussing it. Obviously, I know on uh, certainly text our group text and um, it makes no sense um, not to promote that, especially when you think about Parmalee has been um, around Greenville since the '90s. And uh, for all that time, so they have a lot of local fans. Plus, they're originally from that town of Parmley in Martin County. Um, so they're local boys. You have uh, they actually have had hits. So it's not like they're a fan favorite, a local fan favorite. They actually are nationally known and doing doing very well over the last decade. So 
Um, really proud of them and what they've accomplished. So they, they're probably, wouldn't you say, Kyle, the biggest local band? I mean, who I don't, I, I can't think of anybody else that's made it uh, commercially. Um, the bro, uh, what is those brothers? They, um, the Abbott brothers. Abbott brothers um, is done. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the Abbott brothers are probably yeah, they, yeah. not radio hits, but they've had more album sales, more success. Yes. Okay. Um, but I would say Abbott Brothers and Parmalee. Um, uh, that's another that's another area we're losing to Appalachian Stadium. They got Eric Church and Luke Combs. Um, but it's uh, you know, but yeah, glad, glad to have Parmalee uh, coming home, and uh, I think it's a pretty cool idea. Like I said, I just curious to know why it was promoted before now, but it is a great idea and should be a fun halftime show. Hopefully, everybody's in a good mood at halftime. <laughs> That's my one concern. <laughs> well, I, one way or the other, if you're if you're not in a good mood, then maybe they'll. Uh... <laughs> maybe they will uh definitely get you cheered up and ready for the second half you, have to... you know it, it'd be nice it, you know you, you figure and we did beat charleston southern it was close to what everybody thought but if we could have done it last week you know post game that would have been a lot of fun just everybody hang out post game and watch the concert uh because you you feel pretty confident you're going to win that one but i uh i don't know like i say maybe maybe we'll be up by a couple touchdowns at the half That'll be a lot of fun, and maybe we can look at it too in the future. Uh, speaking of which, and then we'll go uh, because you and I can talk music and concerts all night. Both of us are concert nerds, but that would be a great. Uh, speaking of great ideas, Kyle, you have a lot of them, and that's one of them where the very fact of uh, post game to have a concert because you could have think about it. You have a ready made audience uh, right there uh, if it's a UNC game or one of those big big games. Uh, that we have on the schedule, not to mention. I got a fun fact for you, Dave. Uh, before we, you know, as we get ready to go, my post-game yep. concerts, 1995. Uh, Tim McGraw was a relatively new country star. He had had "Don't Take the Girl," "Indian Outlaw," a couple other hits by yep. that point. Uh, he was doing a concert, free concert, uh, at Southern Miss after the East Carolina Southern Miss game, where we beat them on the uh, the the fake field goal, followed oh by a field goal for a win. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you talking about ruining something? Holy crap! <laughs> I forgot about I forgot about that um, that game. That's one of the most famous pirate games ever. Yeah. I didn't. I never knew about the Tim McGraw thing. But yeah, I, I, uh, I uh, I'd be interested to know how many people actually stuck around for the show after that. That would be cool to know. What well, do you have anything before we go, my friend? I know. I uh, just uh, yeah, as uh, as you were about to promote it, we don't have the all screen graphics, but because Bubba's phone died, but we. We can still promote it. You got the uh, the Pulse of Pirate Nation. Uh, that'll be. Would you, do you know what time before the game we'll be doing that? Uh, that would be. Uh, wait a minute. I can put it up on the screen for you. There you go. There we go. Uh, the Pulse of Pirate Nation. That'll be. Well, let's see. The game's at three thirty. It'll be sometime a couple hours before the game. Obviously, uh, so we can uh, track down former uh, players. So that'll be a lot of fun, and also have the. Uh, I can I can do this. We can put the other graphic up for the Pirate Football playback at ten thirty on Saturday night. So we'll get everybody ready. It should be over by. Um, oh, it'll be over well, way way before then. Three thirty kickoff. We'll be over. We're probably about oh seven thirty, seven yeah. seven thirty, and uh, be plenty of time to get home. Uh, hopefully, hopefully celebrate a win, and uh, if not, we'll be bitching and complaining and uh, wondering if we can score any points and if we can win another game the rest of the year. One or the other. We'll see how it goes, my friend. It's going to be – I know one thing. It's going to be uh, a great game. It's nice. Isn't it nice 
to have a game where it's going to be a competitive game and not, uh, Kyle, how much do you think we're going to lose by? It's actually these games. This season has been really entertaining back to what Pirate football. I'm not saying that anything can happen. I still stick with my 7-5 and five on the year. but um, Well, then you better change your confidence uh, to, to feeling confident about this one if you think we're going to go 7-5. and five. Because if we're going to get to 7, I think we need to win this one. Oh, I want. I mean, I want to, but um, it depends on which playbook we, <laughs> how we use the playbook. All right, let's so, go predictions and let's get out of here. All right, I'm going. I, I'm going with a Greenway 38-28. Unfortunately, that's not what I want. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I'm. I'm on. Um, I'm gonna say we get it done. I'm gonna say. Oh, uh, right. Wow. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say East Carolina. I'm gonna say East Carolina. I'm. I'm gonna go East Carolina 31. Tulane 24. I think we win it by touchdown. I hope you're right, and I hope I'm wrong. I have no doubt about it. For Bubba Rosenbaum, thank you, Corey Glore, uh, the play-by-play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Hope we have safe travels. Glad that he's okay after the hurricane. And good luck to the Pirates on Saturday at 3.30. Until next time. I'm and nobody wants Charlotte. And nobody wants Charlotte. Uh, the Pirate Preview right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom!